Warning! The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard, or believed to be true, about how the human body works, and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy! So we're having a conversation looking at carbohydrate loading issues. There are different avenues that we usually have the research when it relates to carbohydrate loading. Most of the research that we have is with endurance athletes and the aspect of carbohydrate loading leading into an endurance event, which is where most of the research has kind of geared towards. Recently, we started looking at carbohydrate loading as relates to aesthetics, body compositional changes with different avenues of uh, research not as in-depth of research as what we have with the carbohydrate loading with the endurance athletes. And so we're going to go ahead and have a conversation here looking at some of the recommendations that have been made as relates to carbohydrate loading leading into competition and how we can go about looking at doing some carbohydrate loading for body compositional responses in aesthetics, in aesthetic competitions or bodybuilding competitions. Okay. Well, we look at things like, is this the best avenue? Is this the correct information? Yeah. Is, is, is there something that is being missed that might be better for me to follow? Okay, I see. All right. Okay, so, okay, I'll start. Okay. Okay, so my coach, since I am going into a physique um, bodybuilding competition, he was suggesting I do a lean carbohydrate loading, which is him explaining that the start of the week before like the weekend of my competition, he says we're going to increase uh, carbs slowly up until like starting Monday up until Saturday, increasing carbs slowly. And he said we're going to drink a tons of water because the carbs need something to hold on to but he's also talking about like sodium manipulation um is, is that correct is that a correct way of carbohydrate loading in terms of physique okay so there's a couple things we have to we have to kind of get into there when we're doing carbohydrate loading, we do, so there's, there are different types of doing carbohydrate loading. When he's talking about a week long program, that is the classical carbohydrate loading plan. And the classical hydrate, carbohydrate loading plan, what it's going to do is it's going to cut carbohydrates down to almost an a intro to Atkins level carbohydrates where you're getting like 10, maybe 25 total grams of carbohydrates in a day over about three day period of time. At the end of the third day, you're going to transition back into eating carbohydrates at excessive levels. And I'll explain what excessive levels here are in a second. And you do that for three days. In that first three days, you're going to continue to train as if you're normally training. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that you're going to have a reduced capacity for training because you've starved the body of carbohydrates and it goes back into metabolism. And so when I'm going to do high intensity exercise, I'm going to be on a, on a glucose and fructose metabolism pathway. I'm going to be doing lots of glycolysis, 
But if I'm starving myself of carbohydrates, I don't have the glucose or the fructose at the level necessary to keep the high intensity exercise going. Right, right. And so what's happening is that usually by the second day, you're, you're very moody. You're, you're, you're reaching hypoglycemic levels throughout the body. Your performance drops off the, drops off the board. You become very lethargic. You become very moody. That's the point where you start to rest. And when you rest, what you do is, is you're not like sitting on the couch doing nothing, but it's very low active rest, active recovery style activity where you're going to be consuming carbohydrates at two to three times the level that you should be consuming for, for an athlete. And so most athletes should be consuming carbohydrates in a range of about five to 10 grams per kilogram of body mass. Somewhere in the neighborhood. So divide that by two for, for by pounds. And so you're looking at like two and a half grams to about five grams per pound of body mass that you have. That's normal. When I'm going to carbohydrate load, I'm going to take that range and I'm going to expand it to maybe three fold. So per pound, I'm going to like maybe like seven to 10 grams per pound Mm. of carbohydrates. And most of those carbohydrates are going to be what you think of as simple carbohydrates. So a lot of starchy foods. Mm. Yeah. But what you want to make sure is that that starchy food is not the high fructose starchy foods. Mm. And that's because what we're trying to do is we're going to try to make sure that we're going to store glycogen and not store fat. Because what we're trying to do is we're also going to make sure that we're not going to consume at such a high level that we're going to get insulin spikes coming into play. Right, right. So there's two things we want to take take into account when we're doing the carbohydrate when we're doing we're doing the ingestion of carbohydrates Mm -hmm. is we want to make sure that our carb level is like that two to three above normal Mm -hmm. for a very short period of time that is going to have before it a carb cutting event where basically we're going to become ketogenic by the end of the third day of the cutting of the carbs where we're going to make that transition. Mm-hmm. When we're going to consume the carbohydrates during the carbohydrate loading phase, we want to make sure that we're going to consume it no more than two grams per pound per hour. Okay. And that's kind of the, that's the, 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 the very nitty threshold mm-hmm. for when I'm going to have an excessive insulin spike from eating stuff. So if you think back to your, phys- if you think back to physiology, you think back to what we talked about in terms of the hormone stuff, right? Insulin is usually talked about in terms of glucose metabolism. Mm-hmm. And if I consume glucose, I'm going to have an insulin spike. That's the, the old adage, right? But insulin only spikes when we consume glucose at greater than 1.2 grams per kilogram per hour. Mm. And so I want to minimize the the insulin spike because what I want to do is I want to make sure that I have a a prolonged projection of insulin that's going to allow me to take all of that glucose that I'm consuming in excess and put it into glycogen stores that have been depleted. And I'm depleting the glycogen stores over the three days where I'm starving my body of glucose during the carb cutting phase, Mm -hmm. but still exercising. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing carbohydrate ingestion, when I'm eating carbohydrates, once again, we got to go back and remember our physiology here. Okay. When I eat carbohydrates, I need lots of fluid in order to get stuff into the cells. And that's because the transporters, the, the, the proteins in the cell membranes that allow for the glucose to get from the intestines into the cells of the intestines, mm-hmm. and then 
into the blood and then into the cells of the rest of the body, in particular, the skeletal muscle, which we're trying to do with the physique building. Mm-hmm. Because usually what's happening is that you have a cut phase, right. usually about a week to two weeks before you have your competition. And you're just and you're you're flat out miserable during the during the cut phase because you're eating maybe uh, in terms of caloric density stuff maybe 800 kcal total mm-hmm. with almost no carbs in that cut phase and very little sugar very little uh, sugar very little salt too mm-hmm. even though you really need the salt in that cut phase even and we'll get to that with the the question that you had about the sodium here yeah. You cut phase and then you go into recovery and then you kind of train a little bit and then you go into your pre-competition week. And the pre-competition week is the week where you're going to be doing your carbohydrate loading. Okay. And so what you're basically going to do for about three days before you start to carbo load, you're going to follow your cut phase diet. Yes. And so it's high protein, it's excessive high protein, high fat, no carb kind of intro to Atkins style diet. Mm -hmm. But you keep training at very high intensities, very similar to what you did during a, during your cut phase. Mm-hmm. We then start to carb. We then start to carb load. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we carb load in such a way so that we're going to maximize glycogen stores and not induce, not cause lipid to be built in the adipose tissue. Mm-hmm. And the way in which we can do that is that when we start to carb load, we become slightly active. We don't want to be overly active heading into competition. Mm-hmm. But we want to be in doing some some light free weight, okay stuff, kind of like free lifting, yeah, where you're not really lifting, not doing like okay, I'm gonna go three sets to fatigue or three by ten or mm-hmm. five by five. You're just okay, I'm gonna go do a set of bicep curls. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go on and walk on the treadmill for a little bit. Mm, okay. I'm going to do some push-ups. I'm going to do some some sit-ups. I'm going to maybe do a few pull-ups. I'm not doing anything excessively strenuous. Mm-hmm. And that's usually about the, the three days heading right before you get into competition. Mm. Okay. So then how would my physique look with carb loading versus not doing a carb load? And that's, and, and so that's where we have to get into, okay, do you need the, do you need the, 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 the water? And that's because what's happening when I do the digestion of the carbohydrates, when I do the absorption of carbohydrates, water is following into the cells. Mm-hmm. And it's falling into the cells through what's referred to as a glucose sodium transporter. And so this goes back to the, to, to the old adage that we always talked about when we talked about hydration issues and physiology. Mm-hmm. Water follows salt, salt follows water, because we want to make sure that our, our salinity, our body's water-salt balance stays, mm-hmm. stays normal. And so this is where when I'm doing the carb loading, if I carb load with low sodium intake, I'm not going to bloat. Because I'm not because what, what you're doing during those those three days going into competition is you're trying to continuously reduce sodium intake. Mm-hmm. And you're continuously reducing sodium intake so that you don't retain water. And that's because once again, salt's gonna follow water, water's gonna follow salt. Right. Okay. And so what I'm gonna get is I'm gonna get because the glucose is gonna go into the skeletal muscle and not into the subcutaneous adipose tissue so much because I've stimulated the muscles to be ready to absorb as much glucose as possible Mm -hmm. by depleting all of the glycogen, but then giving it stimuluses that say, okay, go ahead and start storing glycogen. Mm, Okay. And so if I'm consuming the 
the glucose, it's going to want to have water with it. And that goes into the fact that water is going to follow salt, salt is going to follow water. But the other thing it's going to follow is glucose. Glucose is a very good water draw molecule. Mm-hmm. And so is fructose. Okay. And so what's up happening is that when I start consuming my, my sugars during the carb loading phase, all of that carbohydrate is going to get drawn into the muscle. And okay. what's going to do is it's going to cause the muscle to look larger than the muscle should look because mm-hmm. it's hydrated. Oh. And so you can think about this kind of like, um, like a, a sponge, mm. like, a, like a kitchen scrub sponge. Like if it's just dry, it's it's maybe like a half inch mm-hmm. in width. But as soon as I put water onto it, it immediately expands. Mm. Same thing happens in the muscle. As soon as I put water into the muscle, that muscle is going to expand because now it has hydration layers in and around all of the connective tissue, in and around all of the muscle tissue. Okay. Um, but so it's but good. So my other coach, he would pull water. So, or in the past, he has pulled water. So then, what is that? So pulling water is where you, is where you're going to start to cut how much water you're consuming, mm-hmm. and how much sodium you're consuming, how much table salt you're consuming prior to doing the carbohydrate load, and during the carbohydrate load. And what that is attempting to do is that's that's attempting to reduce any of the water is going to be held within the integument, within the skin. Oh, okay. Okay. And what that does is that gives you that, that dry oh, okay. look. Mm. And so, so a lot of, a lot of bodybuilders, particularly on, I'm not, I'm, once again, I'm, I have to speak from the, from the male side. I only know one female bodybuilder and we never talked about trying, trying to find dry. Whereas for the males, they try to get as dry as possible so they, yeah. so they can look as vascular mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. And so when, because when, in competition, they're not just being gauged on how large the muscles look, but also how vascular yeah. do they look. How lean. Mm-hmm. So. And so, so, what, so by, by pulling water and, with, and what's, what, the, what the phrase means to pull water is to cut the consumption of fluids. So even though we should be consuming a large amounts of fluid with carbohydrate loading, mm-hmm. if instead of say consuming a liter water, I only consume 250 mils. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling, I'm pulling water, and what that does is that ensures that the water that's coming in, or let me phrase what the intention of that is, is to try to make sure that the water that's coming in is following the carbohydrates, the glucose into those into the skeletal muscle and then surrounding the glycogen molecules because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get super compensated glycogen molecules bigger glycogen molecules than what was originally there and so in the youtube video on carbohydrates i kind of introduced this this topic about super compensation and carbohydrate loading Mm -hmm. and what we're trying to do during the cutting phase is deplete the glycogen uh, yeah, and then during the carbohydrate loading phase, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get even larger glycogen molecules than what was there previously, mm. because this goes back to the homeostasis, the optimal performance. The body says, "Oh wait, dummy, did way too much with way too little," mm. and so we're going to protect dummy because dummy's a dummy. And the next time they decide to cut carbohydrates, we're going to have this extra store available. 
Mm-hmm. You can okay. think about it kind of like a, like a savings account mm-hmm. where, oh, I was poor for a couple of years. And so every cent that I have is going to go into savings so that if, if I ever have to worry about money again, I have extra money available to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing that's going on with, with the glycogen. And so what the body's doing is it's trying to store as much glycogen as possible as opposed to storing the fat. Because what happens is that because you depleted it doing high intensity stuff, the body understands this, okay, extra glucose that comes in is not going to go to the adipose cells. It's not going to go to fat tissue. It's going to go to glycogen because we need that for doing glycolysis, for doing the high intensity stuff. Mm, Okay. Okay. Um, aside from that, I was also told to do the sauna. What what would that do? Two things. It's going to increase body temperature. Increased body temperature has an effect on lipid storage mm-hmm. to a very, very small effect. Oh. And so what ends up happening is that when I do hot temperature, mm-hmm. I send signals to the adipose tissue that say, please stop storing fat. Mitochondria start breaking down more fat. Mm. It does what can be referred to as beijing the fat tissue. Okay. Making the fat tissue more metabolically active. Mm. Having more mitochondria there to break apart the lipids and use lipids for ATP, but at the same time also use it to produce more heat. This is where you have to be very careful with the sauna. Because it goes to the goes to the second thing that's happening with the sauna. The sauna is used in a water pulling event, yeah, to reduce water mass. Mm. And so this is where we used to have our weight class athletes, boxers, wrestlers, MMA, mm. uh, anybody that had a uh, fight in a weight class mm-hmm. would go into the sauna wrapped in plastic. And sweat 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 in order to make weight. Mm-hmm. All they're doing is losing all of the water that's that's there, and they basically become excessively dehydrated. Oh. And so the problem with doing that is that excessive dehydration changes our salinity. It takes us out of normal concentrations of ions. It makes us be more concentrated. Yeah, which can become problematic because. If you're doing that and then have to go and say, hold a pose for an extended period of time, hmm. that, that pose is an isometric contraction. You're contracting the muscle down. Right. Granted, you're no, you don't have a whole bunch of weight that you're trying to move, mm-hmm. but you're trying to make the, you're trying to have as much tone in the muscle as possible. Trying to make the muscle look as big as possible, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which means that you're sending the signals from the, the motor areas of your, of your brain. Yeah. Down into the muscle. So let's say like you're trying to do a, a, a bicep cobra pose out to show yeah. how large your lats are. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that in that excessively dehydrated state, you can very easily start to cramp. Mm, okay. And now think about it. If you're going to pull in, so people will do that in order to, in order to reduce water. Yeah. In order to make their body look, once again, look drier, look leaner. Mm. And what they're trying to do is, once again, they're trying to to basically dehydrate the body. Yeah. So that the only water that's that's in the body 
is basically in the internal parts of the body that can't be observed by the people who are judging what your body looks like. Mm, okay. Okay. Oh. And so, and that goes, and that goes with this, with the salt intake. Mm. So what is, what happens is that if I'm going to try to, once again, goes to trying to induce that dry look. Yeah. If I'm going to try to dry out, I'm going to reduce salt, reduce water, and I'm going to try to excrete as much water as possible. And so this is where people will do things. And I'm not recommending this in one, one way, shape or form. They'll take the diuretic pills. Oh, and they also take an alcohol shot. Like and a they'll do alcohol shots and they'll do excessive partying before the competition. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, water pills that you can get from the pharmacy stores yep. and the alcohol block antidiuretic hormone. Mm. And what it does is it creates a condition within the kidneys to start to overproduce urine. Mm. And if I'm overproducing urine, I'm not retaining any of the water right. that's there, or I'm retaining excessively less water. Mm-hmm. And once again, what that's doing is that that's drying my body out even more. Yeah. Dang. What's crazy is that like the competition sponsors that's there, they give us. They put in our little goodie bags, the the water pills, and mm-hmm. um, but yeah. And, and so, so the the problem with some with some of the water pills is that they have is some of them have excessive amounts of stimulants in them, high mm-hmm. high dosing of caffeine. Mm-hmm. So, so a caffeinated beverage doesn't act as diuretic. Yep. But a caffeine pill does. Oh. Okay. And so, if I consume caffeine at about 400 plus milligrams in a single dose, mm-hmm. I have a diuretic effect acutely with, within a few hours of taking that, that high dose of caffeine. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm just drinking coffee, yeah, I'm not going to have that same effect. Right. I'm not going to have that same effect because I'm going to be consuming water and the, consum- the volume of water is going to basically be equal to the amount of urine I'm producing. Mm-hmm. But if I take that, if I take that caffeine pill, if I take that diuretic pill, mm-hmm. I'm going to produce more urine than I would normally as if I didn't have that, that caffeine pill or that diuretic pill. Oh, I see. And so that's where people get the, the misconception that caffeine is a diuretic caffeine, the caffeinated beverages aren't, but that caffeine pill, mm-hmm. that diuretic pill, that stimulant pill is a diuretic. Now the alcohol actually stops the hypothalamus from sensing water imbalance and it stops the posterior pituitary from releasing the antidiuretic hormone. So basically acts as a negative feedback on antidiuretic hormone and on the hypothalamus regulating water balance. Mm. And that's because there's metabolites that get produced when we consume alcohol that are toxic and we want to get rid of those toxins before Mm. they have a chance to build up. And since all of them are water soluble, there's only two ways to get them out, either through sweat or through urine. Mm. Yeah, this is, it's interesting, like learning the science behind it since I do compete. Um, But I feel like nowadays, most of the coaches I talk to, they say, oh, I have like real scientific knowledge of it. But there's a lot of like misconceptions behind 
a lot of what they're informing athletes about. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting how people try to use the big words to sound more scientific, mm-hmm. more scientific than what their background allows them to to speak to. Right. And that's where a little information is good, but it's also can be can be dangerous. Mm. Because it's good, it's good that the people who you're using as your resources have knowledge and knowledge, but they also have to understand what the, what the limit of their knowledge happens to be. Right, right. And so, one of the things that I hear a lot about is how you're going to impact a couple of hormones when you're doing a lot of the cutting, a lot of the carb loading. Mm-hmm. And one of the hormones that a lot of people like to talk about is thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that thyroid hormone only works on the aerobic side of metabolism mm. and on the conversion of muscle fiber types. And so when you talk about like cutting carbs and then adding carbs into your diet, mm-hmm. the impact on thyroid hormone is very minimal. Mm-hmm. When we look at your within within, in your cut phase, Mm -hmm. when you have excessively low nutrient intake, you start to drop the balance of leptin and ghrelin and adiponectin, yeah, and GLP one from the from all of the tissues outside the body, and you Mm -hmm. start you start changing around catecholamine signals, epinephrine Mm -hmm. signals, norepinephrine signals, dopamine Mm -hmm. signals. And what that does is that starts to play around with pituitary and the hypothalamus. And that changes how the growth signals come away from the hypothalamus and from the, from the pituitary. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't have nutrients, I'm not going to want to send signals to say, grow, 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 grow. Mm-hmm. If I have a lot of nutrients, I'm going to send signals to say, hey, grow, grow, grow. You right. have stuff. You have stuff in, in balance. Go ahead, lift, lift super heavy. Tear, tear apart those muscles, we'll, build, we'll be able to rebuild the muscles we have, all of the nutrients we need in order to get that mm-hmm. done. When I'm cutting, what ends up happening is that I, I slowly start to reduce nutrient intake. Mm-hmm. And when I reduce nutrient intake, I put myself into a, into a negative caloric balance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so everybody talks about calorie balance, but as we've talked about numerous times, it's not about calories, it's about nutrients. Yeah. And making sure you meet those those your minimums and your ma- and not overly exceed your maximums. Mm. And so when I'm cutting, when I'm in my cut phase, I s- slowly start to reduce my nutrient intake. And what that does is that starts to to mess around with leptin signals, ghrelin signals, GLP signals, glucagon signals, insulin signals that all head back up into the hypothalamus. Mm. And coming away from that signaling cascade is reduction in growth hormone. Mm -hmm. It allows me to grow, but it sends out a growth hormone that's going to cause lipids to start to break apart. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at growth hormone, there's different types of growth hormone. Mm -hmm. One of those growth hormones is what's referred to as the 6KD growth hormone. It's small growth hormone. And what small growth hormone does is it causes lipolysis. It causes the breakdown of lipids. Mm -hmm. But what it also does is it also kicks a whole bunch of epinephrine adrenaline up and it causes a whole bunch of glucagon Mm. to go into signal and so all of those signals are going to quote unquote counter regulate 
my glucose metabolism. So it's going to shift me away from using glucose, mm -hmm. try to use other things, lipids, amino acids for metabolic purposes, for, for making the ATP. Mm -hmm. One of the side effects of having those no growth signals coming to the hypothalamus and coming away from the hypothalamus to the pituitary is reduction in thyroid stimulating hormone. Mm -hmm. When thyroid stimulating hormone starts to drop, the amount of T3 and T4, our triiodothyronine and our tetraiodothyronine, our thyroid hormones, starts to drop. What that does is that slows down my aerobic metabolism. It basically tells the mitochondria, slow down how much aerobic metabolism you're able to do because we don't have a whole bunch of nutrients coming in. We're reliant upon stores, mm. rely upon whatever stored material we happen to have. If I counterbalance that with exercise, mm -hmm. we don't see a huge drop in the no growth signals coming from the periphery. We still see growth signals coming. What we don't have is we don't have the counterbalance of growth signals plus lots of nutrients. Mm. And so for someone who is, a, who is a, an aesthetic athlete, a bodybuilder, mm. because they're working out during the cut phase, yeah. because they're working out during the cut phase, they're not going to see a huge drop in mm. their thyroid hormone, in their ghrelins, in their leptins, in their, they're going to see huge shifts oh, okay. in all of these hormones that a lot of people talk about having these big, huge shifts in. Right. If I starve myself and I'm a couch potato, I'm not doing anything but starving myself, mm -hmm. thyroid hormone is going to drop. Mm. But the drop in thyroid hormone is not the cause for the reduction. So when I start to reduce my caloric intake, my, my actual energy expenditure drops too. Mm. <clears throat> so if all I'm doing is dieting to lose weight, my, my actual basal metabolic rate, my BMR actually drops. Yeah. Yeah. And it drops because all the signals from the periphery, the leptin signals, the ghrelin signals, the GLP signals, the glucagon signals, the insulin signals, the oxytomodulin signals, the AMPK signals, all of these peripheral signals that regulate my energy balance, mm -hmm. they stop expending energy. Mm. We have to, we have to conserve our fuel sources so that we're able to extend how long we can use the fuel stores that we have because we don't know when we're going to eat again. Right. But if I drop my, if I drop my intake, but keep working out, I don't get that same signaling. Mm -hmm. I don't get a huge drop. I will have a slot. I will have a small drop in metabolic rate, mm -hmm. but I won't have an exorbitant. I won't have a huge drop in metabolic rate. And what is happening is that what we've done is we've correlated the reduction in energy utilization with thyroid hormone it made this correlation as a causation. Okay. And once again, it goes back to the, to the adage that we say, but say over and over and over again, correlation is not causation and causation is not correlation. Correlation simply is that two things are associated with each other. Mm -hmm. When people have low thyroid hormones, mm -hmm. they will store more body fat, but they're not storing more body fat because that, because of low thyroid hormone. It's what's, what's happening at the peripheral tissues that changes lipid metabolism, that changes aerobic metabolism, that changes what types of muscle tissue, in particular, the type two types of muscle tissue that we happen to have. Mm -hmm. Because what thyroid hormone does is thyroid hormone allows for differentiation. So remember, we talked about the continuum of, of type two fibers. Mm -hmm. And what thyroid hormone does is it allows for us to have that continuum of type two fibers. Mm -hmm. 
in particular allows us to have high amounts of aerobic type two fibers. Okay. And so if I have an aerobic muscle tissue, that aerobic muscle tissue is able to use lipids. It's able to, to use the fats uh, in yeah. energy purposes. Mm-hmm. But when I have low thyroid hormone, I don't have that high, that turnover in muscle fiber types, mm. which makes the muscle fibers less aerobic. Mm. And so what that does is that, so people who, who have high amounts of body fat and low thyroid hormones, the hypothyroidic person, if we start playing around with their diet, we may start seeing some changes in thyroid, in thyroid hormones, but it's not necessarily one cause and the other. And so with people who, particularly with the aesthetic athlete, mm-hmm. just making dietary changes, going from very little carbs to having carbs is not going to have a change, is not going to lead to changes in your thyroid hormones. Mm. but it will lead to changes in other signals. And so one of the things that happens is that when I have high carbohydrate meals, Mm -hmm. I go from, okay, I'm full to 20, 30 minutes later. I'm not as full anymore. Yeah. And that's because what ends up happening is that we get this spike in insulin. We get a spike in what's referred to as glucagon-like peptide, GLP. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is that as soon as glucose levels start to come back down, those signals also come back down. Mm-hmm. And those two signals are going to regulate along with a whole bunch of other signals. Am I hungry or is it okay for me to eat? And so one of the things that we do with the, with the, car, with the carb loading is that we're going to consume carbohydrates multiple times throughout the day mm-hmm. in very high quantities. But we also want to make sure that we're also consuming other things besides the carbohydrates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because what we want is we want to make sure that the other things that we're consuming are going to allow me to store the carbohydrates as glycogen, but not store it as the lipids, not store it as the, as the fats. Mm. Oh. Okay. But thanks for listening. Hopefully raise some. Uh, valid points for you to take with you. Hopefully you came, came away with a few more questions that you might want to ask. And please stay tuned for more discussions on the topic of metabolism, health, and human physiology.